Kia ora koutou and welcome to NZATE's student-led podcast. Is this in the test? Kia ora. We are a year 13 English class who have been studying for the wonderful film What We Do in the Shadows, directed by Taika Waititi. The film is about four vampires who live in a flat in Wellington and the wonderful hijinks that ensue. It's such a comedic little plot. Isn't it so funny, guys? Anyway, we have been studying this film in English this year, and we are now going to discuss it. So, the first question, which is my question, you guys, is what about this film has resonated so well with the planet? Do you see the planet? Yeah, the planet is in the rest of the planet. Do you mean the people on the planet? Yeah, well, not like that. <laughs> <laughs> the film can't resonate with a, with a fucking space rock. I mean the, the globe. Because it was obviously, it was a hit in New Zealand, and then it became a smash hit in the rest of the world. And like a little cultural phenomenon. The personalities themselves, because they're all losers, frankly. And there's always a bit of charm to that. Or their awkwardness. Everyone probably kind of finds that charming, almost relatable, how stupid they can be at times. I don't know, I feel like that kind of main character group always hits with people. I'd say that actually like the setting being in like New Zealand, although it's like directly relatable to like New Zealand in the time, but it's also like could be related anywhere I reckon. Like Wellington's like just like in kind of just like a modern day series uh, city. And I think it could be like set in like anywhere like modern day and it would almost still have like the same effect, I reckon. Like Australia's pretty similar, you know? Um so I think that could relate it to the overall the world, you know? You're saying it's quite transferable. Yeah. Other yeah, I also think the um that contrast between the old and the new vampires is probably another reason it was like a big hit because it was just so different to every other sort of vampire media that was out at the time like in the early 2010s or like the mid 2010s like comedy and vampires they weren't really as portrayed in the same way they were in what we do in the shadows so it was quite like a breath of like fresh air i guess in a way Oh, and it was it was mocking um, Twilight, right? And so I, that I, that was that's well known at least. Um, I feel like the humor type is kind of applicable, like across the world, because the humor is very like it's like serious, but it's like ironic. There's like a level of irony to it, and that's what makes it like enjoyable. And I feel like that's very applicable to. The different cultures across the world because not every culture gets like sarcasm uh, for example but like having like this level of irony that could be understood like globally i think is kind of what makes it so successful you know like if america tried to make a movie like this it would probably be very very different and probably way less funny and a lot less personally like it'd be way less of that wit than like if it was a new zealand film well, they actually did make an yeah. American TV series, which is not as good as the movie, but... I think they actually, they took it originally to America and they wanted um, they wanted Johnny Depp to be in it or something. And they were like, let's just take it back to New Zealand and 
make sure that they don't do that because I can't imagine Johnny Depp would have been as, uh, as funny as the actual cast. The New Zealand culture kind of like coincidentally just lines up with like a very comedic style because it just feel very authentically Kiwi. And they've just twisted it ever so slightly and it becomes very humorous, that awkward sense in every scene. If you try to take it to like an American kind of culture, they could try to replicate the awkwardness, but it would just feel less authentic. It wouldn't be like an atmosphere of constant bumbling awkwardness that's funny. It'd just be forced stupidity, I guess. It's a lot closer than like British comedy. It is. I feel like, like um, a lot of comedians in especially America, they, they don't have that same level of just like, like, it's like this passive level of irony. Like, but yeah, they don't like capture the same level of like global relatability as like this film does. Yeah, I guess there's more like an American comedy, there's more of like a, like you're still like a celebrity, like a superstar sort of thing. Yeah. So it's a lot less like personal, like self-deprecating, like British comedians or, you know, there's exceptions, but like New Zealand comedy is very self-deprecating and very dry and very like witty and less, and I guess that makes it more relatable. I feel like it's more about the delivery too, with New Zealand and UK comedy. It's always about the dry delivery, whereas in America, I find it's more about what they say. Most of the time, it's like shock value. They try to say something funny rather than deliver something not funny in a comedic way. So I think a scene that captures this is the uh, scene uh, where they first encounter the werewolves. Um, well, there's the four, four vampires, uh, and they with uh, Stu, and they encounter Christavi. Yeah, and that scene, they all come across as losers, like, ties back to what I was saying earlier. It's the, the charm of the film is that none of them are cool. They're all complete idiots. If you look at the werewolf scene or the scene with the police officers coming in, no one walks out of that scene, like, as the one that's the smart one that has to be around with these stupid people. It's just everyone's a bit of an idiot. And it creates this aura of just, like, constant awkwardness, but in a comedic sense, I guess. Also, with the what we do in the shadows, werewolves—they're all like these really gawky, middle-aged men. Where if it was at twilight, there were these shirtless, like perfect um, guys, but they've just got Reese Darby and his gang of misfits, and even including quotes like "werewolves, not swearwolves," and like, "Oh, you liked those track pants?" or "Oh, you just bought that jacket?" Oh, don't don't rip it. <laughs> I do, I do think that's also what adds to the, the comedic value is also probably the relatability um, of that like, oh no, I'm about to ruin a new piece of clothing that I just got because, well, no, nobody likes to ruin a thing that they just brought. So I feel like on like a surface level, it comes across as a lot of it um, is kind of just like this silly thing that, you know, doesn't really have much meaning, I guess, on a surface level that's like apparent or directed towards the viewer. So does a film like this need to have meaning to be memorable for me? I don't think so, to be honest, because I think I've never actually thought about this movie 
under any sort of critical lens until I had to study it. And honestly, it never really impaired my enjoyment of the film because I think the biggest strength of it is just the fact that it's hilarious the entire time and that it's just something you can watch and just just sort of let it wash over you in a sort of just a comedic, like a big tsunami of just just hilarious stuff. And I think, I mean, there, there could be a deeper meaning, but I think when it comes to the genre of like comedy or even horror, the most important part is the emotion that it's supposed to make you feel. Like, you know, horror is supposed to scare you and probably makes you laugh. And I think that's the, that's the essential part. And I think any subtext is, um, at least in a movie like this, I don't think it's necessary, but. Like four vampires living together, it's kind of hard to make a, a deep meaning out of that. I mean, the, I mean I'm sure that they, actually I'm pretty sure Taika Waititi has gone on record saying that he doesn't think about subtext at all. But, <laughs> <laughs> that but too. Uh, yeah, but I'm sure it exists somewhere in there. I mean, do directors even think about the subtext entirely? I feel like a lot of the time, not all of the time, but they kind of don't really think about the deeper meaning that's going on in the back of their mind. And they kind of just intuitively get this idea like, oh, let's put the camera like this. And it's because of that deeper meaning, but they can't really specifically state it until they go back and watch it and think, oh yeah, I did it because of this. I think it's like a, like a case by case thing with yeah. most directors. I think it depends. Sometimes it is because of the deeper meaning, but they aren't really aware of it in the moment. And other times like, like with Taika Waititi, I don't think he can like even yeah. think about it at any level. And I feel like even the music is pretty representative of that. Because then they just go in and start like randomly playing instruments and messing around with their soundtrack. Yeah. And it, that, I feel like that summarizes the entire intent of the movie and that just have fun. Like it wasn't even properly written. Wasn't that right? Well, they wrote, him and Jermaine Clement wrote a script, but they were the only ones who had seen it, or none of the other actors or anybody had read the script, so everything was basically improvised. Yeah, that's what it was. Yeah, so it comes across as very just in the moment, people having fun. Like when you watch the movie, you feel like it's just the actors goofing around. And I guess that is meaning in of itself, that it has meaning. I really think what makes this movie like more memorable, rather than the, um, the meaning of it, is like how unique it is and different to um, I feel like meaning and intention are different things because I feel like like in general art can be like meaningless and have meaning like I feel like if you go to a museum and you see an abstract painting and it literally just looks like a paint sponge is just thrown on a paint, uh, canvas then you know you would probably think well what's the point of this and like I feel like that's kind of you can apply that to like every art level to a degree because not everything like uh, not everything has the same level of in-depthness. So, so I feel like you can like find your own meaning in the film. And I feel like a lot of the films, like irony comes from like subtext that may, maybe um, wasn't necessarily considered, but there's still like, I feel like irony like needs that base level subtext to have an effect on, a view, on the viewer. And I feel like this film definitely has like layers of subtext that aren't necessarily like built upon throughout the film, but they're like they're definitely there. And I feel like you can take different scenes out and analyze some sort of meaning from it, even though it wasn't necessarily the director's intention with it. 
Well, I mean, some uh, uh, in studying the text, we've certainly taken away some of the meanings we've been talking about, uh, like otherness, as one of the uh, with uh, uh, when Nick becomes a vampire and he's led to this group who uh, is kind of separated from everyone else. It's, uh, vampires. Yeah, and I feel like that, like even just that as a concept, is like it still like has meaning and it still was necessary for a lot of the irony to be like in the film because the film is literally about vampires in the modern day. Carrying what you said about otherness, there was also they showed them going to like the nightclubs and trying to fit in with the public, but not wearing modern day clothes and wearing their clothes from their genre, or sorry, their era, and getting called out like homophobic slurs and stuff. I definitely think that shows outcasts or otherness. I think everyone like feels like some level of other. Everyone feels like they're different. Everyone feels like not everyone is the same as them and like an outsider almost um which you can like look at the film and see that like it makes it more relatable i guess to watch there's also the 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 servant who eventually becomes a vampire uh i've forgotten her name jackie jackie um and then even even she said like despite serving them, uh, she even complains like later on, and and saying, um, if I had a penis, I would, I would be a vampire by now. And then she goes on to say like it's just one giant homo erotic. Um, dick fighting club. Di- yeah, dick fighting club. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I feel like they didn't really have a solid grasp on all those issues like with um. Jackie or whatever, mm-hmm. when she was talking about them being sexist, I feel like they really had no awareness of even what sexism was. I feel like the characters were kind of, because they were so isolated most of the time, they didn't really have any awareness of any kind of social issue. So the movie was kind of throwing them into all these issues and they didn't really have an understanding of it. So it was interesting to see with how they reacted to her assuming that they were being sexist, them being called homophobic slurs, because it was kind of just like a completely ignorant person's reaction to it. He kind of, that's like, um, kind of the point of the characters is to like mock these archetypes that we have in our society and like the ignorance that like a lot of um, people portray towards these issues. Like, like talking about the Jackie thing again, like the misogyny was present, but it was like making fun of people like misogynists. Um, so I feel like in that sense, there's like already a level of subtext and to get to, to get, to understand the irony, you have to understand like what misogyny is and how it affects people in their daily life to understand the irony, like fully in depth. So I feel like in that sense, there's like a sense of meaning behind the, um, behind the joke, behind the the way the scene was set up, um, even if it wasn't directly uh, the director's intent, there's still a lot of meaning you can, I guess, um, pull from it. Yeah, they did almost feel like like teenage boys that didn't really have any understanding of what was going on. I was just gonna say it was like almost like the end. It's like a sort of a coming of age 
movie like Deacon's like a teenage, like the teenager of the group, and he sort of learns. To be taken. He's the one that is Jackie's like his slave or whatever. So he sort of learns, I guess, through the end of the film how to treat people well. You know, he starts respecting the, the werewolves, and he's, he's less of a dick to Nick. And it's like, yeah, it's sort of him, I guess, being yeah, like a teenage vampire, maturing. They do all quite feel like children, though, like all of them, just because of their ignorance from their isolation, I guess. they. I can't think of any of them that felt like mature characters. They all felt like children watching it. Like you're like saying, it all just felt like a coming-of-age story, I guess. I think Peter was, uh, was, was quite good. He didn't he, talk. <laughs> he just hissed. He was the quiet Yeah, literally. <laughs> he, like, if I, if I had to, to, to say, who was the maturest out of all the vampires? Peter, because he didn't say anything. <laughs> he knew what he was about. True. He, he knew what movie he was in. He just didn't talk. Going back to what you were saying, though, it's kind of interesting that they use the medium as like a medium for the comedy, because usually you would expect the text to like use comedy as like the vehicle to portray meaning, but in this in the movie, it kind of feels like they're taking this meaning as a means to be funny. That's like what Santa. <laughs> but yeah, you know, I guess because all the comedy is derived from the base idea of uh, vampires, classic vampires, are silly and they're very different to us. And I guess that that inherently is a funny idea, but it's also a very it's an idea that's very easily applicable to so many different like modern groups which is, I guess, where the subtext becomes so prevalent because that it's a very simple simple concept that you can apply to a lot of different, like, so there's a lot of space to impart your own meaning onto that sort of character dynamic of people who are out of place, you know, which is very easy. But that goes back to the popularity, I suppose, yeah, yeah. and that's, that's another, another reason. Exactly. I mean, yeah, they almost go out of their way to make each character as, like, same as possible. They made Deacon a Nazi. Yeah, Deacon's literally a Nazi. <laughs> Nazi yeah. vampire coming of age comedy. I, I love how like casual he is about it as well. He's like, if you're a vampire after the war, ooh. If you if you're a Nazi after the war, oh. If you're a Nazi vampire, okay. <laughs> no. See, I feel like that ties into like their lack of understanding because Deacon. He didn't seem to like hold any of the abuse. He just kind of seemed to yeah. just like align himself with Nazis yeah. with no like real understanding of the issue. These guys seem like they're winning. Yeah. He's gonna hop on that bandwagon. See, they all feel like incredibly ignorant, which is I guess why they they come across incredibly childlike. All right, should we look at how this film can be applied to some essay questions? Yeah. So um, the first question that I have is, a convincing hero has a balance of admirable and deplorable characteristics. Like the immediate thought there is just Iago, because he probably seems the most morally good character. But then the first scene that comes to mind is when he brings that woman home. And he hits her heart. She talks about like, what she wants to do, and she's like, oh, I'm in trouble, and she dies. <laughs> and it doesn't even come across as something that he has to overcome. He kind of just accepts those traits as part of himself. He doesn't have to overcome being someone who like just kills people. It's just something that happens despite him trying to be a good person and his own relationships. He also says, uh, I believe, like it's really, really hard like sometimes because people think 
the like the the dead on the inside and they have no heart and then he proceeds to to like almost correct the statement yeah they're definitely dead inside but then he goes on to say how he can care for some people yeah, that was uh when he was talking about catherine right yes. that was the yes. lady <laughs> yeah that, that's when he was talking about catherine about his love for her i think what really makes like um it convincing and good to have a balance of these admirable and deplorable characteristics is it makes like the character more realistic in the sense that if you had like a in like any media if you had like a character that is like all good doesn't dis, um display any like bad characteristics then it's like unrealistic and like doesn't make them relatable at all and you can you can't even like learn from them really if um so like what well what is important for a hero is also to be like you can learn from them and take away something from it and i think in viago yes he murders people (laughs) (laughs) Um, he like does all this stuff for his friends and he like just um, has like a good heart I reckon because I mean uh, Viago with his uh, servant Philip who he had also promised to turn into a vampire that was one (laughs) you know I think that is definitely one of his certainly deployable horrible characteristics and yet again there's like no focus on it he doesn't have to overcome it to be a better hero it's just like there are morally great people when you look at a text like this you kind of have to suspend your disbelief a little bit in the i guess in the how bad their actions can be before they become unlikable because i think the overall sentiment of them being murdered nazis is that you know like well was they sometimes have have done bad things that they just have to overcome it it's relatable in a sense but in the sense that um you know maybe we have all done things that we are not super proud of maybe we feel ashamed of certain things and i guess that does those negative traits in a way do make a hero or a character more relatable let's move on <laughs> um an effective text uses imagery to present the ordinary in extraordinary they show the extraordinary, the vampires, in very ordinary ways. We see Viago taking a woman into his home, luring her and proceeding to kill her. And the entire scene feels extremely normal because of how awkward he was. The camera shaking, everything. It just felt like someone cooking a pizza and dropping the pan and going, oh, oh, oh. Yeah. And that's part of the comedy, I guess. Yeah, it's like the whole joke yeah. in the movie is that they're supernatural vampires in a... New Zealand documentary. It's like inherently hilarious that he's eating a woman and killing her, which is something I've never done, but um, he's eating a woman and killing her, and it's presented in yeah, such a normal way. Well, yeah, it, it just it gave off the vibe of a bad date, <laughs> at least initially, uh, before, you know, the blood. Even like their childish behavior, like when they're bickering among each other. It just feels like kids in a daycare fighting, despite the fact they're crawling up on the roof and hissing at each other and fighting in the air as bats. Oh, your bat fight. How when they came across like the werewolves, it's like um, a fight. You feel like they're like the jocks of the yeah. kids. 
Don't be interesting. All the jets and the sharks, if you want to put it where side story Because I feel like this is mostly just a result of being placed into their perspective. Like, if you took it from, like, another one of the, like, human characters, like, way on the outer circles, I feel like you could still, like, make it, like, a scary vampire movie of these people that are luring people with and stuff. Which is quite interesting, because then if you imagine, like, any other, like, typical vampire movie, if you were to frame it from their perspective, would it come across as, like, just as humorous? Yeah, like the Lost Boys scene, you know, where they do the spaghetti thing. Not as oh, not as convincing yes. as that, but like in the Lost Boys, you know, it's like it's like a, it's meant to be like a spooky scene where it's like, oh my god, these vampires are in my brain, they're making me have worms, that's disgusting. But in the movie, because we see it from the vampire's perspective, it's just so lame that Deacon would assume that these humans would believe that this plate of rotten spaghetti is filled with worms and that their penis has become a, a reptile in some in some way. Even with the um that scene, because uh, I've been studying it a lot, there's um, like little background giggling and stuff from the vampires, and they think it's so funny, and they give them like little girls at a sleepover or something. Going going into another scene, they're having like an argument about, I believe, vampire. yeah, the vampire hunter when uh, Peter dies, and then it's kind of. It could be related to maybe just like any, any, anyone flatting together and they have like a dispute and it goes a, a bit too far, but then again, nobody dies in a normal flat situation. I mean, not that I know of. Um, and that's, that's also could be a scene where it's like an ordinary thing shown in an extraordinary way. I feel like they can kind of tie into the deeper themes of the movie and that they show all these extraordinary things in very ordinary ways because it's from their perspective. So I guess you could say one of the major themes of the movie was perspective and that they can take a terrifying horror movie situation, place it in their perspective and it's just this awkward comedy. Um, I feel like one of the most blatant examples of that is when they like leave, they go out and like they go into the city and they're surrounded by like this more modern architecture and their costumes just like don't match. Like there's like an inherent dissonance with them. Um, yeah, I feel like that's like one of the most like significant examples of just like the extraordinary within the ordinary. Yeah.